0: Be a pro with AC Pro. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. On a very rainy, rainy weekend in New York, we got a special Rico Bronia. We'll discuss the Friday night loss, the rain, the rotation, the roster moves. And coming up, we had talked about this uh, maybe a week ago, a nice debate about the pitch clock with a loyal WF fan listener who's very anti-pitch clock. So that's all coming up. Let's start off with the Friday game. So it's frustrating because I think that we as Met fans could look at the weather forecast and for a myriad of reasons say this game should not be played. Should be played for a few selfish reasons. A, if you had tickets to that game, nobody wanted to sit in 48-degree weather in which it was going to rain all night and it was likely going to pick up enough where the game would not be concluded. That's obvious, number one. And number two is, selfishly, we look at the state of the Met rotation. We look at the state of the Brave rotation with Max Fried and Spencer Strider scheduled to start the first two games, and it's logical to say, rain this some bitch out. Kind of like going back to opening day when I still think the Mets rained opening day out knowing they needed an off day, knowing they had the next day, they played the game, they could rest the bullpen. It behooved the Mets to rain the game out. On Friday night, it behooved the Mets to rain the game out. I know that. You know that. Everybody knows that. Here's the problem. I'm going to give you the other side before we discuss the five innings that were played. There isn't a lot of room to make these games up. The weather is supposed to be bad all weekend. They obviously postponed the game on Saturday. The game on Sunday is in peril. They should be fine on Monday. Now, they could play a doubleheader on Monday, which at least makes up one of the games that got rained out. But if you rain out Friday, Saturday and Sunday, even if you make up one of those games on Monday, you are now forcing two doubleheaders in August or a doubleheader in August and trying to find a common off day. That's not ideal. So as much as we as fans say, hey, push this back as far as you can because of the state of the current team, which I obviously agree with scheduling made this thing impossible. And so what really sucked about Friday, first of all, if you had tickets, it sucked. The Mets did uh, announce a very nice gesture, which is if you have tickets to the game, whether you went or you didn't go, you can now exchange those tickets for a future game, which they have done before, and that's fine. That's a great gesture. Good job by the Mets. But you went to that baseball game on Friday night, and you witnessed something that I think shouldn't be allowed in Major League Baseball. And I've screamed about this for years with Beningo to the point where, you know, it was obvious after any game that didn't go nine innings, I was going to say the same stuff. Well, I'm going to say it today. There is no other sport where they don't play a complete game yet call it and say it's a complete game. And the one that annoys me the most is when you only play five innings of a baseball game. Now, you want to tell me... It's the eighth inning, and it's 11-1, fine. There are certain circumstances where when you rain a game out, you can say rain shortened, and you can call it a day. But here's what really annoys me. So David Peterson goes out, and for four innings looks great. Give him all the props in the world. He was actually dominant for four innings. He runs into trouble in the fifth inning. We'll get to that inning in a second. Explodes, gives up four runs. While the Mets never figured out Max Fried, Max Freed's pitch count after the fifth inning was 86. 86, which means the best case scenario the Braves had was that Freed was going to come out and pitch the sixth inning, and if he got through it, that'd be it. Which means the Braves would still need to get nine outs from a bullpen that a day earlier imploded against the Miami Marlins. While I'm not telling you the Mets were going to win this game, this game was far from over. There were a lot of reasons, I just laid them out, why you cannot tell me, as negative as you are as a Met fan or as positive as you are as a Brave fan, that that game is over. We just witnessed a day earlier, the Braves blow a 4-0 lead in the ninth inning to the Miami Marlins when A.J. Minther sucked. So I'm not going to lie to you. I'm annoyed. You want to call me a sore loser? Fine. I've been consistent about this forever. Wins, losses, opponents, it doesn't matter. A five-inning game is not a real baseball game. And the way they did this on Friday is they basically said, we'll play through the piss falling from the sky at the five innings, and then as soon as we make it official, we're going to roll the tarp out. Well, here's the problem. As soon as the tarp rolled out, the game was over. There was no way they were going to restart that game. So the umpires and the Mets and the Braves, if they're making a decision to start that game, then you better finish it. Because I think it's a disgrace to play five innings and call it a day. That's not a real baseball game. In this day and age, your bullpen needs to get nine outs. The brave bullpen didn't have to get any outs. The Met bullpen didn't have to get any outs. And look, it is still likely the Mets would have lost that game. But we don't know for sure, and we never got to find out. So that pisses me off. It pisses me off that they started the game. And then if you're going to start the game, then I'm sorry, figure out a way to play nine innings.
1: Especially with the fact that you're not, you you know you're gonna miss Saturday and or Sunday as well, Uh, and it really does hit with the rest of the series. The fact that Freed was going to be needed to be out of there sooner than later. Now we can't get to the bullpen, which could affect Sunday, Monday. I mean, that there's a lot of different intangibles that go into every single game. I, I am so a believer it's, it's a big that,
0: deal. you know, there's a new rule in baseball started a few years ago where let's say they play three innings and they stop the game because of rain. In the old days, they would wipe the game out like it wouldn't count. I always thought that was unfair. A guy hits a home run in the second inning, it should still count. So they changed the rule a couple of years ago it was during the pandemic where if they stop a game before it's official – they will suspend it and then pick it up at a later date. We even saw that last year in the most absurd way possible. The Mets and the Marlins were playing a game in April. Marcus Stroman faced one batter, and they stopped the game, and the game got rained out. When they picked the game up a few months later with different rosters, they started it from that first inning. Now, that's absurd. Like I think a game like that, sure, you want to wipe it out, fine, no big deal. But obviously, most other games, if you play two or three or four innings and runs are scored, of course it should count. Think about it from a fantasy perspective. (laughs) Guy, it's a home run for you, right? They stop the game, it doesn't count. What if that guy ends up hitting 62 home runs, right? So I'm all for that baseball said, hey, we stop the game, we suspend it. I would do the same with this. Or I would change the official game rules to eight innings or a deficit of eight runs or more. Because I think a four-run game in the sixth inning is a reasonable baseball game. That is not enough of a game to simply call. Now, what's the cutoff of this, like I just said? Are my suggestions necessarily the answer? Not saying it is. I don't know if it's, well, eight innings is good, five innings isn't. I just don't feel comfortable with certain baseball games. And I'll give you an example that had nothing to do with the Mets. Many years ago, I met my dad in Philadelphia. I was living in D.C. at the time. He was up in New York. And we met in Philadelphia to see a Phillies-Reds game. Swear to God. Uh, he had a, a client, I think. He's a CPA who had great Philly tickets. And we said, yeah, let's go to a game. So you went to a Phillies-Reds game. You could look this game up. Sean Casey got hit in the head, right? And the Phillies lost the game 1-0. You know what? I'm conflating two games. I think it was a Phillies-Marlins game. And Dontre Willis pitched five scoreless innings. We did this a few times. I apologize. <laughs> okay. Fact check me. I this one. Phillies-Marlins. Dontro Willis pitched like five scoreless innings. Marlins are up one nothing. I think this was 0-3. All right? Game gets rained out after five. Me and my dad are like, that's ah, kind of sucks, but whatever, you know, not, not really fans of either team. Obviously we're met fans. Mets weren't in a pennant race that year. They were terrible. I go back to DC. The Phillies missed the playoffs. If memory serves correct by a game. And they lost a one, nothing game or a two to one game in five innings. And it bothered me as someone that's not even a Philly fan, I'm not rooting for the Phillies, but I felt how unfair that was. And so this has always been a bugaboo. Now, this is the Rico Bronia, so I assume 98% of the audience are Mets fans, and we're all going to just pom-pom each other. But I'm telling you, this is genuinely something that annoys me, no matter who it affects. It affected us. It sucked. We couldn't figure out Max Freed. David Peterson teased us for four innings. I mean, my God, if David Peterson gets through the fifth inning, do they stop the game after five, or do they just push it and start the sixth inning? No, seriously, it's a serious question. Like, are they stopping that game? And suspending it, I don't know. Now, as far as that fifth inning is concerned, deeply frustrating because Peterson gets the first guy out, gives up the base hit to Eddie Rosario, gives up the double to Kevin Pillar. They're second and third, one out, and he has this great battle with Michael Harris. Great battle. And he gets him to ground out to third. Beatty made me nervous when he uh, pumped up a couple of times, but throws home, gets Rosario at the plate, First and third two outs. He is one batter away from getting through this fifth inning and changing everything because I don't think they put the tarp on the field if it's 0-0. But that's the scenario with a young pitcher that always scares me. He won the battle, but can he win the war? And he gives up the leadoff single, not leadoff single, first pitch single to Ronald Acuna Jr., 1-0 Braves. Now, that wouldn't have mattered because, again, they were going to stop the game after five anyway. And we would have been even more pissed if it was one nothing. But then, of course, for good measure, Matt Olson hits one to Georgia. And it's 4-0. And really ruined David Peterson's performance. I'm sorry, because I think until that fifth inning, or at least until Acuna came up, we were all thinking to ourselves, wow, okay, this is, this is interesting. A little, little last-second push from Peterson to remain in the rotation. Go out and throw five scoreless, six scoreless against the Braves. Now we're cooking. And instead, I think we walk away from that outing and say, all right, send him to AAA. And that's what the Mets did. They optioned him to AAA. We had talked about this on the last few Ricos. He had not pitched well enough to remain in the rotation. He did not outpitch Tyler McGill. Even though Joey Lucchese has only made two starts, he did not outpitch Joey Lucchese. And with Scherzer coming back and Verlander coming back, David, we'll see you again soon. And we will, because someone will get hurt. I mean, so we will. We're going to see him soon. But very, very frustrating uh, as they lose this game 4-0 and the offense did nothing. It was you know, it is what it is. The positive was Brett Beatty played. Uh, it was good to see Bucks start him against the lefty and cited the fact that he's hot, which is also nice to see because a lot of managers don't believe in the concept of hotness. And Beatty rewards him because he gets a leadoff single against him in the third inning. An inning that went nowhere, but nevertheless, he did have a hit. Alvarez had a hit. They both played. And we're starting to see, I mentioned this last time, Pete, we're seeing the momentum of Alvarez playing every day. He is starting to now play the bulk of the time behind the plate. So that's definitely something that I think we are, we should all be happy about because we all wanted it. And it's, it's clearly happening before our eyes. He's catching most of the time now.
1: No, it's good. And I saw another stat today saying, like, I think his pitch framing is like 96 percentile in the league, like how dominant he is in that category. I know this is all – Whatever. It's not all about analytics. It's all about just giving the kid playing time and stuff like that. But it's good to see that he's really – the only person we haven't seen him with is Senga. That's really what it comes down to to, to so far. And the good thing is if you you see the success of Beatty and Alvarez, maybe this will push Buck and Epler – to be okay with if Mauricio and Vientos keep on crushing it in the minors to bring them up sooner. Well,
0: Vientos is going to make this impossible because he's hitting like 380. He's striking out a lot less. He is tearing it up at AAA to the point where they have to call him up. And it leads to Tommy Pham, who's done next to nothing after that opening road trip. Tommy Pham did a a good first impression for us. He got off to a nice start. But since that nice start, and he's always in the lineup against the lefty, whether it's at DH or it's in left field, Tommy Pham has become a regular when there's a left-hander on the mound. And right now, he's five for his last 37. He's 0 for his last 16. I don't think necessarily the Mets are going to DFA Tommy Pham, though I, it's it's too early to do it. But when you have Mark Vientos tearing the cover off the ball in AAA, A, there's going to come to a point when when you have to find a spot for him. So you could look at Eduardo Escobar and Tommy Pham, put the money aside and say, which one are you, I guess, closer to DFA? If Escobar could play a little outfield, and we haven't seen that yet this year, or Beatty could play a little outfield, which we haven't seen this year, I think it makes it easier to get rid of Tommy Pham. But because of the position he plays, he probably is the guy less likely to be DFA'd than Eduardo Escobar because Vientos plays third base too. So based on positions, it makes Pham more valuable, but both guys aren't hitting. And there's going to come a point, Pete, like you did with Beatty, when Vientos has to be called up. The question's going to be, who's the one barring a fake injury? You know, ah, i will stick this guy on the IL. Who's the guy that loses his job? Escobar versus Fan.
1: Well, the other thing too is, like you said, Guillerme is always that other option.
0: It's complicated with him because of the fact that if unless Mauricio's coming up, he still is eligible. He's the only guy who can play shortstop. So I don't know. Maybe they come to a point where they say, "Hey, we're comfortable if it's a a brief injury to Lindor of shifting Beatty over or McNeil over, whomever whoever you want to stick over there for a few innings." And if there's a real injury, we'll quickly make the call. We'll bring Guillaume back up. So as long as they're comfortable with the fact that Lindor is going to play every every single day and they do not have a true backup shortstop on the roster, you're right in the fact that he has options. But you do lose that ability to give Francisco Lindor a random off
1: day, which I know never happens. And here's the thing, though. Reality is, is I'm looking at these four core players uh, that are coming up through our our system. To me, it's exciting because you could see – there's going to be dead spells in the season throughout the vets. And that's where those younger players are going to be able to actually carry the team. And not, not with the expectation of, well, if we don't have these young kids where they can't win games, but they're going to do it on their own. Cause they're excited to be up there. Their bats are really good. And they're good. We're going to win more games because of it rather than have these dead spells.
0: All right. A couple of things. Adam Anavino back from paternity list, John Curtis back from triple a David Peterson, down to triple a Brooks rally with an injury, which is kind of scary. He's the one left-hander out of the bullpen. He is now on the injured list, so the Mets now have zero lefties on the Major League roster, which it's not ideal, but you also don't want to force-feed a lefty on the roster just to say you have a lefty. So I'm certainly not against. Ad- obviously, out of coming back is necessary, but John Curtis getting the recall. As far as the rotation's concerned, I, look, I don't know if they're going to play Sunday. It doesn't feel like they're going to play Sunday. If they do play Sunday, though, you go Tyler McGill Sunday, and then what do you do Monday? Because Max Scherzer is no longer eligible to return from his suspension until Tuesday, which draws us back to a question I've asked before. When are the Mets comfortable with Kodai Senga pitching on regular rest? Because Kodai Senga's spot in the rotation is right there, but it would mean that he has to pitch on just four days rest. Are they okay with that? Now, the other option is Jose Budo, which obviously fits. I'm kind of guessing that's what they're going to do because I think the Mets continue to be maybe afraid isn't the right word or just hesitant to pitch Kodai Senga on regular rest. But if Senga doesn't pitch Monday and Scherzer pitches Tuesday and Verlander pitches Wednesday, now Senga's got a lot of extra rest. So, We'll see how they handle it, but it is nice to know that Scherzer is coming back, that Justin Verlander is coming back, and so this rotation has a little bit more sense of what we thought it would be coming up. Uh, Quickly about DeGrom, because I know that's always something Met fans want to talk about. It sucks. Look, I can't deny the fact that as much as I wanted Jake back over the last two years, every start has been riddled with, is he healthy? Is he healthy? Is he going to stay healthy? And obviously that's been the story of his early tenure in Texas, where he gives you the flashes of brilliance and dominance, which makes me crazy and Pete crazy because we wanted him on this team. But then he gives you the reminder of, oh, my God, there's always something. This one felt more serious. I hope he's okay. I hope it's not the big one because the Grom has avoided the big one. You know, the time he missed last year wasn't the big one, even though it was a lot of time. But you know what I mean? Like the big one, that – Really alters his career. And, and I look, I'm just one Met fan. I know a lot of other Met fans sit there laughing about this whole thing. I hope he's okay. But I'll remind you until Justin Verlander consistently pitches for our team, it's not like Verlander's <laughs> gone out there and pitched every five days.
1: Uh, question to you, because I got, I got presented with this uh, during uh, Tiki Tierney's show and I didn't know the exact answer, but to you, How many Mets fans are anti minority minority?
0: I think that when we work on sports talk radio and we go to social media that callers and those that tweet not to put anybody down. I think it's great when people do it. I don't think that represents the majority of people. And my proof of this where I'll be proven right or I'll be proven wrong. But where I think I'll be proven right is they're going to play a video for Jake at Citi Field in August. Just like they played a video for Dominic Smith and they played a video for Seth Lugo, whether he's pitching or not, whether he's healthy or not, there will be a tribute video for Degrom in August. And I am convinced it will be nothing but cheers. You will not hear a boo from that crowd. So I think sometimes we get lost in what we think Met fans really believe because it's easy based on those that call sports talk radio or those that tweet to think that represents everybody. I just don't think it does. So I'm not saying that most Met fans are DeGrom Marks like me, but I think most Met fans think about Jake and say, hey, he was a great Met. And no matter what he does in Texas, whether he's hurt or he's great or he sucks, doesn't change the fact that he was great as a Met. So I think that'll be proven in late August. But I wish him the best. I follow him, obviously, closely for a myriad of reasons. I don't want to see him get hurt. I, you know what I want? I want everybody to be happy. I want him to be great, and I want Verlander to be great. And, you know, barring any kind of setback, we'll see Justin for the first time on Wednesday in Detroit, and hopefully he can be a reliable arm every five days because I think the rotation needs that. I think that's important for the rotation. We will give you another Rico probably on Monday after this series ends. I don't think they're playing Sunday. And like I mentioned on the last Rico, I thought it was good to do one Saturday night and a Sunday, kind of reset what's going on. And then once this series with Atlanta, however many games it takes is over, We'll recap it. What I'd be curious about real quick, and then we'll get to this big debate on the pitch clock. If they rain out Sunday, do they have a doubleheader on Monday? Okay, if they go doubleheader Monday, it's Tyler McGill and probably Jose Budo because of what we talked about with Senga. Or do they try to push the game back even further? The, the problem with pushing it back further is you have a series in August. It's the only other time the Braves come in, and you already have a doubleheader on that Saturday. You're going to put another doubleheader the day before or the day after? Or do you try to find a common off day where the Braves could fly back and play a makeup game? I would always prefer that, but I'd be intrigued to see what the Mets do. So keep an eye on the fact that Monday could be a very busy day. Uh, they already have a game scheduled at 1 o'clock. It would probably be a straight doubleheader. The Mets go to Detroit. The Braves go to Miami. So it's not any kind of crazy travel, but they will I, I doubt it would be a double admission. I think it would be a straight doubleheader. One o'clock, Mets Braves on Monday. But either way, we'll give you Rico right after that. Now, the pitch clock. We're a month into the season. So when we come back, we talk to a WFN caller who is very adamantly against the pitch clock. And we have a nice, friendly pitch clock debate that can only be heard on Rico Bronia. As we are now a month into this baseball season, let's have a nice discussion on the pitch clock. And we're joined by a very special guest. I heard this guy calling up the fan, uh, was upset with me, was talking to Tiki and Tierney and giving his opinion on why the pitch clock sucks. And I heard it and I said, we got to have a long debate about this because I think one of the problems, unfortunately, on the fan is that we can't like talk about it with a caller for 25 minutes it's more quick quick boom boom then i hang up on you or then host hangs up on you and we move on so here on the rico we're gonna have a very fair open discussion about the pitch clock and that man is andrew who called up tiki and Tierney. andrew thank you for coming on the rico i appreciate it how you doing pal
2: i'm doing well i appreciate the uh invite i didn't think my uh i guess my fiery call into tiki and Tierney would would get me on here but Yes. Between you and and Tierney at the time, it it got me fired up talking about the pitch clock. This was, I guess, shortly right after the WBC. So uh, definitely wanted to hash it out a little bit.
0: Well, I actually, I remember hearing the call. I couldn't disagree with Brandon more on his reasoning. Like, I Mm -hmm. like the pitch clock too, but I, if memory serves correct, I think his reasoning was, look, I have a life. I want to go to bed, which I understand and respect. That's just not going to be my point to you. I have... Kind of different reasons for why I like the pitch clock. But here's my question to you, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer the same damn thing. I promise you this. We're a month into the baseball season. What is your favorite part about the pitch clock? And I will give you my least favorite part about the pitch clock. Obviously, that kind of challenges us right off the gate to talk about kind of the opposite opinion of what we truly have. So for you, a month into a baseball season, tell me one or two things, if you could think of two, that you like about this new pitch clock.
2: That's tough. That is definitely a tough question. Come um, on, you're
0: gonna you're gonna say nothing, bro.
2: No, I'm not gonna say nothing because ah. the <laughs> I do like that they're getting down to the task in hand quicker. I get it. Batter's getting the batter's box and pitchers ready to go. I understand the premise. So I will give it that. I don't mind that they're moving at that pace. Okay. From just on a <laughs> on a basic level. I'll leave it at that. I don't mind the fact that they're moving at that pace, but I still almost have a problem with it too, but we'll, yeah.
0: I give you, I could come up with like five negatives and a few of them are incredibly selfish and stupid. So I'll get those out of the way real quick. Uh, I'm teaching my six-year-old how to score baseball. He's been doing it for about a year and he's into it. Like wants to copy what dad does. And sometimes the pace of the game is way too quick. (laughs) And sometimes when I'm telling him, okay, that's six dash three. Now that's five dash three. The next pitch comes. And his brain is like, Dad, 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 can you pause it? Can you pause it? So I've noticed that in teaching my kid. Uh, But that's a, a purely selfish level, I admit. I think that the moment where a guy gets a standing ovation, and I know it's few and far between, but we've seen two examples of it so far in the early season. I think one was Cody Bellinger's return to L.A., and I think the other was a kid making his major league debut after about a decade in the minor leagues. I do think that the umpires need to show a feel for the game more and realize that the rule, while it needs to be firm, I think you can be sometimes a little bit more, I guess, casual about when you start the clock. Because I don't think we want to ruin those kinds of moments. Guy's making his big return, and he's getting a huge standing ovation. We're so used to that guy maybe stepping out of the box, tipping his hat. And again, this is really, really rare. There's only two examples of it that I can think of from the first month of the season. But I would want the umpires to, while enforce the rule, not go crazy about it and enforce it by saying, hey, here's a pitch clock violation. Here's a strike. I think that's crazy. Um, the The only other thing I could think of is, and I'm sure this is probably something you guys are going to completely agree with because I know Pete's still sort of on your side. I don't want to see ideally an at-bat end because of a violation. It's there. I get why it's there. It's the only way you can enforce this. But when I've seen a, a violation to have a strikeout, or a violation that turns the count in a significant way. I'm not going to lie to you and say it's not a big deal. It it sucks. I don't want that. I don't prefer that. I think it's one of the evils of the good that comes out of it. But those would be my list of things that even I, as you know, a big pitch clock supporter, I would say I have not loved that over the first
2: month. Okay. Uh, yeah, I would say that every one of those negatives, even though you may think some of them are selfish – None of them can be ignored. Like they are the big some of the biggest reasons why the pitch clock is awful. So, you know, one of the things you brought up, and I was going to get into it, one of the things you brought up is your experience with your kid, right? The actual watching the game, maybe it's going to the game, is is the bigger point. But the the experience with, you know, your children, friends, uh, nieces, you know, whomever it is, the actual experience of going to a ball game, following the ball game and everything like that it's not a good thing for it to be moving at such a fast pace where you can't have those type of experiences. I know not everyone's scoring the game like you are or like your son may be, but there is an overall experience to it. So this rushed aspect is not enhancing that in any way, nor is that I think it's getting any little kid, which I know this is the whole premise, jumping to watch the the, the game now because, oh, my gosh, look how fast it's going. That's what we were missing. It, it, it's just not – you'd have to show me the data that that shows me that – the viewership is going to be booming because they, you know, sped things along.
0: I don't think we're ever going to see this quickly, like the game change in terms of attendance or ratings this quickly. I think, you know, if kids didn't like baseball, and I'm sure that's been a problem over the last few years, I don't necessarily think they were going to tune in because they heard there's a pitch clock and fall right in love. I think it's more when a dad or mom shows baseball to their kid for the first time, It just moves faster, and I do think that's a positive because you don't want them after 25 seconds or 45 seconds between pitches to kind of look around and say, hey, I'm bored. So I don't think it's a flip of the switch thing that we would notice right away, but I do think that the action happening at a faster pace has to be a good thing in this day and age for kids. It has to be.
2: I think that they could have, and the reason why you're never going to get the data you're looking for in the future is because they change too much at the same time. So when they look at and see, oh, wow, you know, ratings are doing so much better or they're doing so much worse in the future. Well, what is that attributed to? Is it attributed to the stolen base? You know, uh, right. the, the right. pickoff thing? Is it is it uh, attributed to the bigger bases? Is it attributed to the DH? They've done too much all at once for you to really break down, oh, this is the reason why we moved in a certain direction. I believe that a kid would have saw more action just from the banning of the shift alone. That's the only thing you had to do was ban the shift and you were going to see a completely different action to the but game. that,
0: Listen, that had a positive impact so far, but mm-hmm. don't you agree that there were going to be times I've watched, you know, every Met game so far this year. And there are games I walk away from where I say, I'll give you a specific one. It was the other night when Jose Budo pitched and he walked six guys in four and a third innings. And the game was two hours and 45 minutes. And I left the ballpark thinking to myself, if there was no pitch clock, just Budo himself would have taken so much longer in between pitches. That's a three-and-a-half-hour game. And that's a three-and-a-half-hour game that would have featured very little action because there were so many walks. So I know it's one specific game, but that's how I've kind of viewed it. I've walked out of a game thinking, hey, did the pitch clock make any difference on this game? I think on a game like that where there's so little contact and you've got a young pitcher that's struggling with those strikes – you don't think that that probably cut out the 45 seconds of a pitcher kind of stepping off, going through the motions, trying to figure out how the hell am I going to throw a strike? Because that that's unwatchable. And I love baseball more than anything other than my family. That's unwatchable.
2: Yeah. Do you know for a fact that Budo wouldn't have uh, kind of gained his composure had he had maybe 10 seconds to throw a strike into the zone and not walk everyone like a merry-go-round? It's, I'm not saying I'm advocating for a guy to take a. I I never liked that part of it. but. You're focusing on on an April game with the Mets. I totally get it. And listen, it drives me crazy watching that. And would it bro, be bro, Hold so on, hold on. Let me yeah.
0: let me ask you about this. Just to focus on that. Do you agree that there have been games this season, like that one or others, that benefited greatly from there being a clock?
2: It's so tough. I listen, I watch with Mets goggles. So the issue the, the two issues here is when I try to break down the pitch clock, I have to almost separate my view of a Mets baseball game and a baseball game. Because to me, it doesn't matter what's going on. If the Mets are winning, I'm entertained. If the Mets are losing, I think it's the worst thing on earth, right? It's it's, So it's tough for me, to be fully honest with you. If I'm looking from the outside, you know, looking in, yeah, I'm sure the pitch clock did assist there because it was nothing but walks. There was no action. And it it probably would have been way worse had the game – been drawn out him stepping off and then continue to walk guys I totally get that not that we know that would have happened but let's say you're right that that's what happened but it's impossible to really look at it that way unless you're talking about a nationally televised ESPN game right where you're going to get non-fans of that team tuning into that game right I think there's a lot more fans that watch with their fan goggles that care about winning and losing the game in their fandom so it's tough to ask You know, a fan that way.
0: Dude, I completely agree in that I would rather watch a not lack of action four hour mech game that we win than a neat, tidy two hour, 20 minute game that we lose. I'm a fan Mm -hmm. just like you. Obviously, I put winning first. And, you know, if the pitch clock is hurting guys on my team, you know, obviously that's also going to negatively kind of take your opinion on it. But I think the game aesthetically has been more aesthetically pleasing. I really do. Like there hasn't been. The step-offs, the 45 seconds in between pitches. Now, you're right that you could create a scenario where, hey, maybe that guy struggled because of the pitch clock. Maybe Jose Budo wasn't throwing strikes because he only had 20 seconds between pitches with guys on base. It's a complete hypothetical I don't know. The only thing I can compare it to is games from, like, the last 10 years where we've watched ugly baseball games where there's a ton of walks and it takes three and a half hours. And I love the baseball and I love watching it but three and a half hours every single night when we're getting the same amount of action now in two and a half hours, to me seems like a no brainer, like the negatives that you bring up and there will be negatives you bring up that I'll shake my head on and say, you're right. I think they're outweighed by the fact that every single night we're seeing a game that moves at a good pace. I hate to bring up time of game. I know I'm going to do it. It's more the pace of it. Like, okay, it's moving, it's moving, it's moving. And I think that's more aesthetically pleasing. No,
2: it, in some situations, I understand it, but you know what? You can't replace bad talent. You you can't. There's nothing you could do by uh, to shake up a poor performance by any sport. If if a team isn't shooting that night in basketball, there's nothing you do to make it to pretty it up. If a team is just constantly walking guys over and over again, whether it's moving fast or slow, it's still going to look ugly. So I think if you just have a very competitive back and forth game, you're never going to be wishing for that. All right, let's get this going. You know what I mean? If if Budo is on top of his stuff that night, and he's throwing uh, the pitches, you know, with command. He's not walking guys. You're not going to say, "All right, let's just hurry, uh, hurry this up already." I'm glad this didn't get dragged out. So you're, there's nothing you could do with a pitch clock or not that's going to mask horribly poor yeah. performance. No, no, no but,
0: but but that's where I disagree with you. I think the pitch clock did the other night because you had a guy walk six batters in four and a third innings, and it didn't take two hours to occur. So while it was ugly that he wasn't throwing strikes, I'm not saying like that part of the baseball was pretty. It wasn't endless. You know, I mean, think about that. You're sitting at home. I was at the game that night, but you're sitting at home. You're watching TV. And in the course of 25 minutes, you see no balls put in play and you see four walks and you see two strikeouts. Like that's not good. If you get the same action, but you do it in 15 minutes. While I'm not saying it's pretty, it's better. Don't you think that's
2: better? Yeah, in that aspect it's better. I mean, you have to weigh it because what's more important, you know, this goes back to basically what got me to call in originally was right after the WBC, right? So in your moment you had the Jose, you had the um the Budo 6 walks and th- this is what we were focusing on. Like that inning would have been horrible if it was dragged out. But then my counter was the reason why I called in was I had the Mike Trout versus uh Shohei Ohtani right biggest matchup that you could possibly ask for two captains of their respective countries going against each other and otherwise they never would cuz they're teammates obviously it was just th- the biggest thing ever we know they would have violated like 16 pitch clock uh <laughs> you know rules in that one exchange and rightfully so because it needed that it, it needed to breathe it needed to build up right so for every budo experience i think it's much more important we don't miss out on that Climactic, you know, moment. Let's call it playoff. Let's call it WBC. Whatever. I think those are way more important to let breathe than hey, let's get rid of those budo six walk innings.
0: Okay, I got two counters to that. One is going to be weaker than the other, but let me get the weaker one out of the way. Then I think that more times than not, over the course of a 162 game season, we are dealing with regular games that need a better pace. Like those moments are fewer and far between. Now, I know that's not the greatest argument because the simple retort is, well, those moments are bigger and they matter more. So I don't want to trade that moment for the 50 games in April and May that move slowly. But here's my real counter to that. And I don't think we've experienced it yet. So I'm going to really have to go back to last year. Edwin Diaz was brilliant for us last year. There were a few games that he made us nervous in. Um, There was a game against the Phillies, I think, when he put a bunch of guys on base. It was a game against the Braves where it wasn't an easy save. Right? It was a a drama-filled save. And I don't remember losing anything from the fact that Edwin Diaz was the fastest working reliever in baseball that Edwin Diaz always fulfilled what the new pitch clock rule would have been Edwin Diaz. And it was, I noticed it last year because I always thought relievers were the biggest abusers of the pitch clock. I still felt that way. Edwin Diaz was the opposite. I never felt in any of those dramatic saves last year that we lost drama because Edwin Diaz worked as fast as he did.
2: Did you? not even close but again we weren't looking for drama right so you and I all three of us really we love that Edwin Diaz would come in go one two three mow him down get him out of there because we wanted him to come in one two three mow him down and get him out of there right so I guarantee you right now you wouldn't feel good about an Edwin Diaz experience if he was going out there rushing, throwing over their head, you know, for pitch one and then giving up a home run like in 2019. Yeah, but so- wait, that,
0: but you're creating a bad situation. Like I'm saying we're getting the same drama, but we're doing it in a quicker package. Like that Otani-Trout moment, which was an awesome moment with no pitch clock. If we got that exact moment, but Otani was quicker in getting the baseball and pitching it, do you really think we would have lost anything from it?
2: Yeah, if it was a lot quicker I think we definitely would have lost something from it. I think there's a there's a part of it like Diaz is was almost like a change of pace to the game where it's like it was part of his mystique and it, if the whole game moved it there, it, it it's not the same. You know what I mean? Like he him coming in and be like bang bang bang. That was just part of what he did in that was like part of the um the intensity, you know, it was just that he was that that fireball out of the bullpen ready to go. The whole game, not everyone is like that. It, it, that was part of his own mystique. The Otani Trout, no, you needed that build. You needed fans coming to their feet. You needed him stepping out, sweating the fact that Otani might throw one of, you know, four pitches at him at all different speeds. You needed that buildup, just like in a playoff moment. Then I know if they rushed, it would have... Okay. one kill the moment and two if they got hit with a violation well, to end listen, that well oh my goodness
0: i agree with you and i don't think we've seen it yet in a month into this baseball season i don't think we've seen that backbreaking violation we've seen violations no doubt there was a few i think like early in the year kodai Seng is ahead oh and two and basically said ah screw it i'm gonna take the violation it's one and mm-hmm. two not the end of the world we've seen things like that david peterson the other night against the braves took a violation so We've seen violations, but we haven't seen that backbreaking violation that you and Pete fear. Like, and do you really still think we're going to see it? Like, we're a month into the baseball season; it's still new. It's getting better because there are less violations all the time. You really think that we're going to see in August, or dare I say, October, a violation in a big moment in the ninth inning?
2: Absolutely, it doesn't have to be a ninth inning, but it'll be in a high leverage situation. It will be in October, or because of just how our fandom goes. It's going to be Mets versus Braves, and there's going to be two men on, you know, second and third in the seventh inning in the the pivotal moment, and we're going to call for it because it's, Those high leverage situations, what I'm scared of, it's not the fourth inning. It's not with no men on. Yeah, sure, they can all move at their own pace. But if you break down all the instances, or let's call it 90%, 90% of the instances where you're like, oh, my gosh, this guy's stepping off and taking forever, it's normally because they're sweating this high leverage situation that's going on. More times than not, they're stepping off because, like, oh, my gosh, you know, I I fell behind Mike Trout, and I'm about to blow the game because he's going to hit a three-run homer. It's those Big moments that they're normally dragging out. And I have no problem with that because it speaks to the the intensity of that moment. And every fan who's a real baseball fan understands it.
0: Yeah, l- listen, here's the truth.
2: I think that if you,
0: and this would have been a compromise I would agree to before this season, even though it's too late now and I don't think they would go back. Would I have had a problem if they shut the clock off in the ninth inning? No, because I think once you get to that ninth inning, it's all bets are off, right? It's a close game. Fine. It may take a little bit longer but I don't think there's two disagreements I have with you on this. First of all, one of them is a complete hypothetical. None of us really know the answer. I don't actually think we're going to see a ninth inning violation of big spot because we're a month into a new rule, and you're already seeing that there are less violations as this month has gone on. Guys are getting used to it. And even those ninth innings, they're going to be used to because if you pitch the ninth inning, you're dealing with the pitch clock every time you come into a game. David Robertson, who hates the pitch clock, he's been open about it he's got a chance to pitch with it like he had an early violation earlier this year I remember that I think it was in the eighth or ninth inning and he struck the guy out if memory serves correct they called the violation next pitch struck the guy out anyway that's April like I don't think that a veteran like Robertson or any of these guys that are doing it all year no matter how high leverage the spot is is all of a sudden gonna get called for something that they really haven't been called for most of the season now that's Me predicting, just like you're predicting. So I guess we'll wait to find out. But the real disagreement I have is the idea that it loses any drama. So I'll ask you, we're a month into the season. Not every game has been close and tight. You watch other games besides the Mets, or you just squarely Mets?
2: No, I I try to chew, but it's like 95% is the Mets.
0: Has there been any game yet this season, in the ninth inning, where you said, boy, it lost
2: a little drama because it was moving too fast? No, I mean, there no, you go! It, not so far. I just, but again, you're talking about an April game. We haven't even played, you know, we, well, we just played a game, um, but we haven't even played our intense division rivals for too long and stuff like that in this tight race. We just had our game against the, the Braves, I know. But I'm saying like there, there's going to be bigger games than others throughout the, the course of the regular season. And honestly, my problem with the pitch clock, kind of coincides with a lot of changes that MLB made. They all work with each other. They really do all feed off of each other that diminish the game when they're trying to be used in the name of helping the game. So, like, they're they're not focusing on the real issues at hand. They're trying to blame it on the game itself, and the rules that they're changing just don't work. So part of it is I wanted more intense matchups throughout the season. That would basically make this a problem, and they took you know division games away. They they lessen them. They they lessen the chances of having that high intense. You know we used to play what eighteen or so, you know, nineteen some odd games, games against the division. 19, yep. Yeah. Yep. So now you have less of those division rival games where there'll be more intense playoff like um, atmospheres throughout the season. And I know we want to play every team, whatever, which whatever. Um, so you lessen that. You're going to have those less intense moments, but the bottom line is when we come down to the stretch, August, September, October, it's going to be intense like it was last year. And it's not just for the Mets, it's for everybody. That's where things are going to come into play, where whether you have a violation, that's one thing. But let me ask you, do you think it's a positive that just because a player avoids a violation, but they may rush and lessen the quality of their delivery? And I don't mean just pitching. It could be a guy who should also jump in the box who has a little routine doesn't get the focus on, you know, someone who's about to throw seven different pitches at all different speeds. You don't think there's a negative to. Yes.
0: Oh, I, listen, I'm going to be always fair about this with you. There are not, there are going to be negatives to it. Like, would I want somebody as the pitch clocks expiring, just throwing a pitch and then getting murdered? Like Blake Snell used that as an excuse in the game against the Mets a few weeks ago where he said, yeah, I threw a fastball right down the middle of Pete peak because I saw the pitch clock was about to expire. I'm not telling you that everything is ideal. But I do think that the greater good of the pitch clock outweighs this. Because I think the more guys get used to it, the more Blake Snell is used to the pitch clock, the more batters are just used to the new routine, I think there'll be less of those scenarios. Less of those scenarios where a guy rushes to throw a pitch or a batter is not really ready in the box. I think that the first month was always going to be ripe for those scenarios. And even the second month. I'm not saying it's just going to disappear in May. But I think the more experience that batters and pitchers have with this the less of that that will happen. But I'm not going to lie to you and say, I don't care. Like, of course I care. I want the best baseball possible. But I I, I guess I have confidence in the athlete that with more experience, batters and hitters are going to have less scenarios like that by July and August. And then by next year, I think it's eradicated because I think everybody's going to just be used to the new norm in baseball. And that new norm is going to present far more good than the bad that
2: you think. Which brings me to another point. Let's say you're right. And after one month, two months, everyone just figured it out. We get the pace. We understand how fast we have to move. Overall, the game is going to move even faster than it does now, right? Because with less violations and more understanding of the speed they have to go at, I mean, this game is just going to move along. I have an issue with how quick a game would move along how fast they would go through those hour and 57 minute you know pitching you know great pitching outings like uh contra had it earlier in the season i'm sure there was one other there was a few other sub two hour uh baseball games but the better they get at not suffering from these violations the quicker the game is going to go and that in my opinion takes away from the in-person experience at the ballpark um, all right what
0: is let me ask you this because I this is an undefiable answer but i'm curious undefinable answer. I'm curious what your answer would be. Cause I got to think of mine too. What is the ideal time of game then where you'd say, this is the goal. It's not always going to be this time. Sometimes it'll be longer. Sometimes it will be shorter, but we know in the NBA, the NBA is a very quick game. You know, I, I go to basketball games all the time. It's two hours and 10 minutes. That is really, really quick. That is far quicker than the average baseball game. We know the NFL is above three hours. So mm-hmm. then ideally for you who has concern, it's going to move too quick. What's that number where you'd say okay I like that that's a good average
2: 2 hours 50 minutes 250 250 yeah That's higher than I thought okay <laughs> Yeah 250 because I just like listen I, and I know you did too this is not uh taking away from I love the game like I, for me every pitch has some story to talk about you I mean like I literally can spend 2 minutes talking about why you know that one pitch that was thrown you know and then the next one and the next one my friends hate me for it so it's it may be a little different, but I think it is because when I go to these games too, listen, I travel for an hour and some odd minutes just to get there, anyways. Right. You know, and then parking. It, do we have any sort of tailgating at all? You get in, so I don't want the actual in-game experience to be hardly any longer than what it takes just to get to the game. And then you have all these amenities that most of these parks, if they're doing it right, City Field is one of them adding to the experience of the ballpark adding to the atmosphere of the ballpark to be there whether it's for your family your friends yourself whatever they're just adding to this in-person experience and we're taking away the time essentially to enjoy that going to a ballpark to watch a baseball game was an experience it wasn't just about we're watching the game today
0: but I'm curious about this though because I assume you're like me where when you go to a game you're watching the entire game like maybe you go to the restroom obviously but you're not walking you around anymore. for innings at a time, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, one thing I've suggested, by the way, is that there should be longer periods of time in between half innings, which should make everybody happy. They get to air more commercials and we get more time to not miss a pitch and go grab a hot dog real quick or go to the bathroom. But when you mm-hmm. go to City Field, are you walking around? or Are you watching nine innings?
2: No, I'm I'm watching nine innings, but I know that there's families who are going. There. There's families with with kids that might be walking around, have to go to the bathroom. They want to get their ice cream. They want to get their hot dogs. Whatever it is, the bottom line is the, the just the the whole fan experience as a whole. Whether you're someone who sits in the seats and watch every uh, every pitch, that's one thing. But we know that there's other types of fans that are moving around and doing different things. Yes, there you can't. Like I said, just take the bathroom for example. I literally, if I go to the game and I was going to go soon, I was going to go in a couple days, if I go to the game, I am literally scared. I'm scared to get up and go set, you know, wait on any line to do anything because I might miss an entire inning. Who knows? You know, that's, that already happened in the past. Now it's like, I'm guaranteeing I'm missing some time. You know, I would rather to that point add time in between half
0: innings. And I, I know that's kind of making the TV networks happy and baseball happy, but I would rather not miss any of the in-game action. And I would rather not kind of make the games longer because making the games longer doesn't add action. And just like making the games quicker doesn't take action away. If we accept we're getting the same amount of baseball, we're just packaging it a little bit tighter because there's a clock so that j Riz Familia doesn't step off the mound 18 times. And I love to pick on him because I always thought he was the worst. I watched it firsthand. He abu- He's the reason we have a pitch clock. So yeah. if you added. 30 seconds between half innings. Dare I say even a minute. Doesn't that solve basically what you guys want, that you have more time to piss in the toilet? What, Hoffman?
1: Um, I'm going to interrupt this because here's the problem. Three minutes is not enough. Look at the other sports we're talking about, football, hockey, so basketball. So what do you want to do? You want to create a halftime. Time. There's an intermission. You you know, yeah, thirty
0: seconds is not yeah, going to do the trick. I'm sorry, you guys are suggesting. I want the game to be longer so that I can go to the bathroom while a pitcher steps off to create forty five seconds between pitches. Do you really think that's a logical
2: trade? It's not, but it's not just that. That's just part of it. It, The trade isn't. I'm not. The trade isn't. I got to go to the bathroom. Now we're going to allow them to step off. That's not the you know the one to one trade. Yeah, it comes with the territory. But I I just listen. When I was watching these games, like you were able to isolate a player just now, right? You were able to isolate Jerry's familia from way back going to from 2014 to 2017 as a Met, right? Or 2018. Uh, So you were able to isolate one player. And i'm not saying there aren't a, a bunch of jerry's familiars or else this rule probably would never have happened but the bottom line is i do think it was over embellished i think it is over embellished how much there was like abusers of this rule unless they were doing it in high leverage situations i think there's an over embellishment uh, embellishment entirely of the outlook on the sport and that's why i hate most of the rule changes The 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 idea that it's a dying sport baseball needed so much crazy change the fact that we needed a shorter game. I think there's such an over embellishment of, hey, this is what's going on in the sport, and we need to make a change right now. You isolated a player. You shouldn't be able to if there almost there's so many players being abused. Oh, I think the there
0: were so yourself. many. And I think there were specifically relief pitchers. Like mm-hmm. I, I noticed, and, and this jumped out at me. The reason it jumped out at me over the years is because I would be forced to DVR games, not because I choose to DVR games, because I, it's just fun. But because I have a wife, I have kids, I started doing afternoon drive. Like there were reasons why if I wanted to watch every pitch of every Met game, which I have obsessed to do, I was going to have to make concessions. And what I did was I DVR games from a a personal standpoint. And when I would DVR games, I would never want to skip anything inside the game. I'd skip commercials, which is logical. And then I would watch the game and I would notice, oh my God, 45 seconds just went by. Let me press this 30-second button just to see what happens. Because, again, don't want to miss a pitch. And I would notice that I'd be able to hit this 30-second button and not miss anything. And that started to kind of jump into my brain. Hey, if me on DVR, it's great. I could do what I want. But isn't that insane that there's that much time between pitches? And that's why this has been something I've sort of been obsessed with for like eight or nine years. Because I noticed this is different than what I grew up with. Like, there was way too much time in between pitches. Then there was something else that was happening that I know is very difficult to control. Guys are striking out more. It's just the facts. Guys strike out more. Uh, They're swinging for the fences. They're thinking about launch angles. That's a tough thing to enforce, but there's definitely been a strategy change in baseball. More strikeouts, more swing and misses, more time in between pitches. When you add those two things up, you had games that lasted a lot longer. You had much less action in baseball. That was never a threat to me. I love baseball. I can complain about things, but I'm still going to watch every game. I still love it. But it started to become a problem where I think baseball said, hey, what can we do? The, the launch angle thing, other than moving the fences back, there isn't really much you can do. Like even the shift isn't going to change the approach that guys are going to try to hit home runs. They are. So I, I, what yeah. can you do? Speed the game up. And, and I, I understand why they did it. I'm in favor of them doing it for that reason.
2: The, the the thing that, that makes me angry is because or about the whole pitch clock situation is you say, what could they do? That, the shift is not going to do enough. I'm actually the reason why I'm angry is I think the shift would have done it. I think the shift already inherently was going to produce different type of action, more action, because a lot of the launch angle, you know, or the three true outcomes, whatever it was. I'm going to strike. I'm going to walk. I'm going to swing big. And this thing is gone. Right. Was I think because there was pitchers were pitching in a certain way and certain hits were not available to batters they were taking certain pitches that otherwise maybe they'd swing at they could put the ball in play and end up getting on first or second because of it the the shift was taking that away from them so they were saying oh no I'm gonna basically live and die one pitch one spot if it ain't there I'm not swinging if it is it's gone you know so I think overall getting rid of the shift and allowing more hits to be possible base hits would have promoted More action for for the lefties.
0: Was that ever? And I have to look at the numbers a month in to see if there's a big difference. I don't think there is. Guys are striking out at the same pace, though. So it hasn't fixed that. If guys are still striking out at the same pace, it's not necessarily putting more balls in play. Now you're seeing more singles instead of grounding out into a shift. Like you're going to see instead of the five three put out with the third baseman sitting in right field you're seeing a single so it's going to raise batting average, and i think we've seen that result but i don't think we've seen strikeouts going down and if strikeouts are going to be up and pitchers are taking a big time in between pitches then i disagree with you i think the shift would have would have helped in the aspect of there being more hits no doubt and more singles that are not eaten away from the shift but i don't think it would have fixed the pace of play issue that i think baseball had let me ask you this do you think there was a pace of play issue then do you think that didn't exist?
2: I think it existed. I, I think that it existed in the examples you talked about. Maybe the relief pitchers stepping out, you know, taking too long to, to throw a pitch. Um, and you know what's so funny? Maybe it was harder to notice because we have uh, we have great, you know, guys in the booth that keep everyone entertained in between uh, in between time. And if you tune into a Yankee game, it's like watching paint dry. So I understand <laughs> it might be highlighted um, depending on the broadcast. But I think you can have a pace of play as you kind of – Roll around with different ways to fix it without changing the overall landscape of everything. Like you said, it's select, in my opinion, a was select fewer relievers. And to be honest with you, I was totally okay if they were doing it in a high leverage situation. You know, two men on or or it's a one-run game with the biggest slugger in the world at the plate and stuff like that. I'm totally okay with everyone understanding the the intensity of the situation and taking their time with the chess match to get through this. I was always okay with that.
0: Yeah, I think that probably all of us would be okay with that, but that's usually an inning, maybe less, sometimes not even in a game, over the course of a game that features many other scenarios and many other moments. And that's why, to me, it's about a trade-off because I think in general, the clock has worked to perfection. It's it's made the pace of play work. I mean, we've seen a cut down of about 25 minutes in terms of time of game. Now, I know that's not ideal for you because you want a two-hour, 50-minute games. But we're getting a game that I don't think is obscenely quick. Like, I, I honestly, I've been to—I think I've been to six Met games so far this year, which is a pretty good number. I'm at—I'm at a pace I cannot sustain. By the way, I—I <laughs> I don't think I've seen anything obscenely quick. I think it's all been two hours thirty to forty, even around two fifty. Like, we haven't witnessed a consistent two-hour five-minute game. It feels like those games are still going to be rare. That. The sub two hour game is still going to be an anomaly.
2: So, sub two hours is going to be an anomaly. It's not going to be impossible because we've already had it, but it's sub two hours is going to be the extreme. But that low end of two will, it's going to be there more often than I'm going to want to see. Yeah, sure. We haven't seen too much of it uh, for the Mets, and that's been great. And maybe that's why, you know, when you asked my question before, you know, I think he asked me, if, has it diminished anything so far? Maybe it's because my personal experience with the Mets so far and their games hasn't gotten to that realm. But it might, you know, eventually. Um, I just think, and I haven't gone yet, so I want to see the in-person experience. Um, I, I don't know. I'm just the type of it, – it, you, if you understand the intensity of the game, which most of us and those who are fans already do, you can kind of – understand why something would get dragged out or be okay with, like I said, the chess match and the back and forth, which gets me back to who, you know, we're we're taking away from catering the game towards people who are already fans, real fans of baseball and trying to get a fandom that doesn't even exist yet, may never exist. And if, and if they do exist, we don't know if they exist because of the pitch clock. And I think they exist because you're going to take your kids to a ball game and say, you right. guys are net fans, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. and that's how you really get kids into it because it's how I got into it.
0: Have you, and this is the most unscientific thing, so I'm going to speak for the people I know, you speak for the people you know. Do you get a sense that the big baseball fan doesn't like the pitch clock? Like, have you gotten that sense amongst your peers?
2: I, I, no, um, I'm not getting it enough. And Because, but here's the thing. I think there are fans who are closet haters of the game who won't admit it. They won't admit that they inherently are not in love with the with the game, and I'm not accusing you of this, but it, I was disappointed on your take on it originally, and then that's why I was going after tyranny as well. But I think there's a lot of people that aren't admitting. Listen, at the, bo- the at the end of the day, you don't like the overall makeup of the game because I guarantee you, there's no length of time I could put on a football game if I said we're going to have a five hour football game, you'd still not have anybody complaining about it somehow, some way, right? Well,
0: okay, so here's my my disagreement on that. Um, I love basketball. I do. I go to a lot of basketball games. I love the NBA. I have an extreme opinion about something I would change in the NBA. I'm dead serious about it. I'm in the minority on this, but I would literally consider not to make this a basketball podcast, but to show you that sometimes you can love something, but be open to real changes. I would adapt the Elam ending in the NBA permanently. That's the, for those that don't know, that's the ending they use in the all-star game where, there is no fourth quarter. They basically shut the clock off with five minutes to go, and there's a target score. And I think that because, to me, that's the real essence of basketball. Fouling and sending guys to the line in the last minute and a half and calling a bunch of timeouts, is, it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like the game we played growing up. Now, that's a real extreme opinion about a sport I love. But the essence is I want it to feel like real basketball the reason I've always been a fan of the pitch clock, I've talked about it on the air for years, was that because I think the essence of baseball is that it moves quickly, that you're not taking 34 seconds, 30, 40 seconds between pitches, that my dad watched baseball in the sixties. And this is what it looked like. Like, this is what it looked like. And when I go on YouTube and watch those old games, that's what I see. So I, I think like much like the basketball it's basically bringing it back to its form, its original form. And that's not hating of baseball. That's, I want it to go back to what it can and should be.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, but it's just artificially getting there, right? It's, it's, yeah. It's artificially getting back to where it should be. I, I, I don't know. There, there there's, the reason why i don't like it is because you're right. Okay, it gets back to that old pace of, you know, the games back in the day and i've no problem with that. But at the sacrifice of a lot of things that also did exist in the old game. Again, i keep saying the the term the chess match, the game, the, the game within the game, right? The the war between the pitcher and the hitter. You know, you're taking, you know, the pitcher's taking too uh too much time, i call my timeout. Oh, you call a timeout against me? I'm stepping off. This is my this is my mound, this is my pitch. It, there was this just mind game that always could be played that can't be played anymore you know um and they've they've changed too much to like they they put the they hit the panic button really and said this game's gonna move so fast in so many different ways no more pickoffs past two and now we're artificially changing the entire steel world uh, of baseball it, it, it just did too much and they acted like they panicked like if they didn't change this right now the sport was dead you know yeah
0: i i would be i would have been okay with trying to do it more gradual Because they did make a lot of major changes in the same year. Can you see a scenario? Because I'm trying to think with me. Can I see a scenario where I come to you guys? Because I'm always going to be honest if my opinions change. Our opinions will sometimes change. Where I'd say, man, I was wrong about this pitch clock. And I think for me, the only way I would really get to that is if we saw a lot of pivotal violations in big spots. Like the nightmare scenario you guys imagine. Uh, because right now I, I love the pitch clock. I've watched it for a month. I feel good about it. I feel the way I felt a month ago for you. Can you see yourself after October specifically? Cause then we get all those big moments saying, and you know what? I got to tell you now that guys are used to it. Now that I'm used to it, I actually like it. This turned out to be a real good innovation. Can you see yourself coming to that world?
2: Yeah. There's one scenario if the Mets win a world series. I am perfectly <laughs> fine with any scenario. Um, um, if we get through October, if we get through October and I don't feel because the violations will be a, a giveaway that I hate it, right? So sure. any violation we see, this is an automatic strike, pun intended, against the pitch clock, right? But if we get through October and I don't feel that any built-up moment, the one-on-one matchup, the big leverage moment, is diminished by how they're just getting into it, they don't let the crowd to 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 you know to get into it or like that. If I don't feel like any moment is diminished, then I'll be like, all right, you know what? It really isn't that that bad isolating the pitch clock, but if you have that Bryce Harper home run from that, and I hate Bryce Harper, but that Bryce Harper home run against against Houston, he took four years and and ten months to get up to the plate, strapped everything you could strap, did everything like that. The fans were in it, and first pitch sent one to the moon. I'm sorry, there was no drawback of that taking forever. That built up as perfect as it possibly could. And it resulted as perfectly possible could for the baseball world. And if that's hey Bryce Harper go rush in the box and go do we get it? It would take away from that type of moment. And we're going to have those moments in October for all different teams.
0: All right. So here's what we're doing on November fifth, twenty twenty three. You're coming back on the pod, and both of us, me, you, Hoff, we're gonna come clean. A full year, a full postseason of the pitch clock. Have we changed our views? All right. So that's all planned for Fair November. Enough of 2023 but i i do appreciate you coming on for those that are anti-pitch clock because we get emails about it like there are people out there that don't like it i think you did a very good job representing that voice i adamantly disagree with you mm-hmm. but listen maybe in a few months we'll come together and have the same view maybe i'll come to your side i doubt it yeah. maybe you'll come Hopefully. to my side i doubt it Hopefully. i appreciate it but thank you andrew yep. uh thank you for listening to a very special pitch clock discussion on the rico brogue